Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, Voice America listeners. Very happy to have you with us today. I kind of would like to start off the show by doing a shout out to the people of Parkland, Florida, particularly Stoneman High School. Uh, they've gone through a lot over the last 20, it hasn't even been 24 hours yet. And we just wish them the best and we wish their students uh, feelings of safety and feelings of, of nurturance from their community. Um, one of the great things about having my own radio show is I get to talk about whatever topics seem to be interesting to me and to others that write in. And last time we spoke a lot about issues of resiliency and how one can build and retain strength during really challenging times. And, you know, we do many different things in our lives to keep ourselves going. And we do many things for our children to keep them afloat and responsive to a great but difficult world. Parents have been doing something for thousands of years, and one of and they've been doing that, keeping their kids up for millennium on top of millennium. And one of the many talents parents perform is storytelling. So. I'm really excited because today I want to talk about fairy tales. I want to talk about the use of storytelling in our culture. Uh, later on in the third segment, we're going to have on a past guest, Ann Garrett, who's a bibliotherapist, to talk with us a little bit about what she had done with children in therapy and, and when she was doing her work in her residential settings. So the, the telling of fairy tales and folk stories that lift our spirits when we are down by giving inspirations, stories that prepare for future happenings, such as relationships and friendships and social happenings. Many stories have been written throughout the cultures and communities of the world, each telling stories that relate to the consciousness of the community. Much of what Jung called the collective consciousness and described in his book, Dream Analysis and the Shadow, is described in fairy tales and folklore. It's how we're able to carry our culture's consciousness from one generation to the next. So, so let's get into it. So what are fairy tales? A fairy tale or a Martian is a folklore that takes the form of a short story that typically features entities such as dwarfs or dragons or elves or fairies or giants or gnomes or goblins or griffins or mermaids, talking animals, trolls, unicorns, of course, witches, and usually magic or some type of enchantment. Fairy tales may be distinguished from other folk narratives such as legends, which generally involve belief in a veracity of events described, and explicitly moral tales including beast fables. The term is mainly used for stories that, with origins in European tradition and at least in recent centuries most relates to children's literature. In less technical context, the term is also used to describe things 
something blessed with an unusual happiness, as in a fairy tale ending. So we use these the word fairy tale for many different things. Sometimes we use it to demonstrate, again, unusual happiness, as in a fairy tale ending or a happy ending. Or a fairy tale romance. Colloquially, a fairy tale or a fairy story can also mean any far-fetched story or a tall tale. It is used especially of any story that is not only not true, but could not possibly be true. Legends are perceived as real. Fairy tales may merge into legends, where the narrative is perceived both by the teller and the, and the hearers as being grounded in historical truth. However, unlike legends and epics, they usually do not contain more than superficial, super, super, oh my gosh, I can't even speak this morning. They usually do not include more than references to religion, superfluous messages, references to religion in actual places and people and events. They take place once upon a time rather than in an actual times. And we do that once upon a time and rather than putting it in an actual date so that it lasts forever. It's a story of eternity. Fairy tales are found in oral and in literary forms. The name fairy tale was first ascribed to them by Madame Alulu in the late 17th century. Many of today's fairy tales have involved have evolved from centuries-old stories that have appeared with variations in multiple cultures around the world. The history of fairy tales is particularly difficult to trace because its only form of literacy can survive. Still, according to researchers at the universities in Durham and Lisbon, such stories may date back thousands of years, some to the Bronze Age more than 6,000 years ago. Fairy tales are works derived from fairy tales are still written today. So there are fairy tales that may derive from other fairy tales. Folklorists have classified fairy tales in various ways. There's a classification system. There's a morphological analysis that was created by a guy named Valdemar Propp are among the most notable folklorists. Other folklorists have interpreted the tale's significance, but no school has definitely established or definitively established for the meaning of tales. Now, there's a lot of people, different kinds of people that have dove into what fairy tales are about. And being a psychologist myself, for many, many years, I read a, of a, a works of a man by the name of Bruno Bettelheim. Bruno Bettelheim was a child psychologist and theorist. He wrote a book called The Uses of Enchantment, which described fairy tales through the eyes of the Jungian analyst. There are lots of different stories about Bruno Bettelheim. He was really known for his work with autistic children and families. Uh, there was a negative side to him. He created the term refrigerator mom, which put the blame of autism on mothers being too cold and distant from their kids. So he had kind of a rocky reputation especially later later on. But he wrote this great book, and many people utilize it in psychoanalysts. Psychoanalysts such as Bruno Bettelheim, who have regarded the cruelty of older fairy tales as indicative of psychological conflicts, strongly criticized this because it weakened their usefulness to both children and adults as ways of symbolically resolving issues. Jungian analyst and fairy tale scholar Marie 
von Franz interprets fairy tales based on Jung's view of fairy tales as a spontaneous and naive product of the soul, which can only express what the soul is. That means she looks at fairy tales as images of different phases of experiencing the reality of the soul. They are the purest and simplest expression of the collective unconscious psychic process. And they represent the archetypes in their simplest, barest, and most concise form. Because they are less overlaid with conscious material than myths and legends. In this pure form, the archetypal image afford us the best clues to understanding of the process going on in the collective psyche. The fairy tale itself is its own explanation. That is, its meaning is contained in its totality of its motifs connected by the thread of the story. Every fairy tale is relatively close is a relatively closed system, compounding one essential psychological meaning, which is expressed in a series of symbolical pictures and events, and is and is discoverable in these. I have come to the conclusion that all fairy tales endeavor to describe one and the same psychic fact, but a fact so complex and far-reaching and so difficult for us to realize in all its different aspects that hundreds of tales and thousands of repetitions with musicians' variations are needed until this unknown fact is delivered to the consciousness. This is Bruno Bettelheim speaking. And even then, the theme is exhausted. This unknown fact is what Jung called the self, which is the psyche's reality of the collective unconscious. Every archetype is in its essence only one aspect of the collective consciousness, as well as, rep as, well as always representing also the whole collective unconscious. So fairy tales and the characters within fairy tales often will relate to certain archetypes, the mother figure, the father figure, the priest, the witch, the evil one, the good one. These archetypes allow our ego to develop. As children, they allow us to, to see uh, uh, situations from somebody else's point of view and how they resolved it. Many people believe that there's a moral behind each fairy tale and that may be the truth but the the real case of fairy tales is that they teach survival they teach the child who's listening that even though you could be in a really bad situation you can survive it you can get through it and you see that over and over again in different stories so let, let's read a story i will you know sit back i'm going to read you a little story Hansel and Gretel are the children of poor of a poor woodcutter. When a great famine settles over the land, the woodcutter's wife decides to take the children into the woods and leave them there to fend for themselves, so that she and her husband do not starve to death, because the children eat too much. The woodcutter opposes the plan, but finally and reluctantly submits to his wife's scheme. They were unaware that in the children's bedroom, Hansel and Gretel had overheard them. After the parents have gone to bed, Hansel sneaks out of the house and gathers as many white pebbles as he can, then returns to his room, reassuring Gretel that God will not forsake them. The next day, the family walk deep into the woods, and Hansel lays a trail of white pebbles. After their parents abandon them, Hansel and Gretel follow the trail back home. When the wife sees them, 
She is furious and locks them in the house. Hansel and Gretel are unable to escape or even simply collect pebbles. The following morning, the family trucks into the woods. Hansel takes a slice of bread and leaves a trail of breadcrumbs for them to follow home. However, after they were once again abandoned, they find that a bird has eaten the crumbs and they, have lo- and they are lost in the woods. After days of wandering, they follow a beautiful white bird to her clearing in the woods and discover a large cottage built of gingerbread cakes, candy, and with window panes of clear sugar. Hungry and tired, the children begin to eat the rooftop of the house when the door opens and a very old woman emerges and lures the children inside with the promise of soft beds and delicious foods and a hot bath. They do this unaware that their hostess is actually a bloodthirsty witch who waylays children to cook them and eat them. The next morning, the witch cleans out the cage in the garden from from her previous captive. Then she throws Hansel into the cage and forces Gretel to become her slave. The witch feeds Hansel regularly to fatten him up. Hansel is smart, and when the witch asks for Hansel to stick out his finger for her to see how fat he is, he sticks out a bone he finds in the cage every time. The witch is too impatient and decides to eat Hansel anyway. The next day, the witch prepares for the prepares the oven for Hansel, but decides that she's hungry enough to eat Gretel too. She coaxes Gretel to the open the oven door and prods her to lean over in front of it and to see if the fire is hot enough. Gretel, sensing the witch's intent, pretends that she does not understand what she means. Infuriated, the witch demonstrates and Gretel instantly shoves the hag into the oven, slams the, and bolts the door, leaving the ungodly creature to be burned to ashes, screaming in pain until she dies. Gretel frees Hansel from the cage and the pair discover a vase full of treasure, precious stones. Putting the jewels into their clothing, the children set off for their home. A duck ferries them across the expanse of water, and at home they find only their father, who revealed that their mother had died from an unknown cause. Their father had spent all his days laminating the loss of his children and is delighted to see them safe and sound. With the witch's wealth, they all live happily ever after. The end. Very famous story actually created in the 1300s in the 14th century during Europe's Great Famine. And even the story even starts off talking about the famine and how they're starving to death, therefore they have to release their kids. Now, the first thing that comes up is that they take care of themselves, the parents take care of themselves before they take care of their kids. So that's an issue that many kids deal with, is not being taken care of correctly. The... Kids go out into the woods twice. Uh, they try and come back home, uh, but it's they're, they're either uh, scolded for coming back or they, you know, it, or something stops it from happening. The witch decides that she's going to eat them. So we see a form of cannibalism, which unfortunately during the time was occurring. That people were resorting to cannibalism because they were starving to death. There was a horrible winter that had taken place. And from about 1310 to about 1325, 
there was a huge famine. Half of Europe disappeared, starving. So the witch represents that famine. And she also represents the challenges that the children have. Now, they get smart. They know how to trick the witch. So they trick the evil one. They win over her by pushing her into the oven. But when they go home, they find that their mother has gone. She was the one that was pushing for the, uh, for the kids to be abandoned. So the evil mother is gone. The evilness from their life is gone. And father is there to welcome them back. But he welcomes them back because they have wealth. So they have to come with something. And that can be difficult. That's unconditional positive regard. And what we look for as children is, I want my parent to love me no matter what. So we've, we've just started on this idea. It's lots of fun. We're going to take a little break. And when we get back, we'll continue talking about fairy tales. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, listeners. I uh, Again, I hope you've had a chance to relax a little bit this morning, get your coffee together, and I hope you got to listen to a story with me. We're talking this morning about fairy tales and folklore and how they affect kids and how they help kids and how parents can use 
stories. We spoke about Bruno Bettelheim, psychologist that actually opened up a school called the Chicago Orthogenic School. And the Orthogenic School was a a residential treatment center that was used for children with emotional disturbance and children with autism. Um, there were there was a lot of good work that came out of Budo Betterheim's orthogenic school, including what's called uh, a theory of milieu, which means that when you're in a milieu, everybody's kind of on the same page in a residential setting with the kid. So if the kid acts a certain way in front of one person, it'll get the same response it would have gotten from another person. Um, Bruno Bettelheim set up systems so that children could work through some of the challenges in their lives. He himself was a concentration camp survivor. And so he saw a lot of pain and he saw a lot of children dealing with abandonment and neglect and and so a lot of his theories came from those experiences, which don't always relate to everybody else. And so some of his theories were questioned. Um, the biggest thing, again, was that he had created a term or, or a theory that autism had been caused by a mother rejecting their child and not being warm enough and nurturing enough to them. And we know that this is just just not the case. It's simply an organic neurological disorder and something that we've seen a huge increase in over the last 15, 20 years. And it does not um, have anything to do with parental rearing or, or a mother's attitude towards their child. So in that sense, Bruno Bettelheim had done some damage, done a lot of damage to a lot of people. And there's a movie called Mothers of Rage. If you're ever interested, you can YouTube that and you can see the story that I'm talking about. But he did write this book, Uses of Enchantment. It's been used by many, many people. Um, it's The idea is that it took different stories and applied what uh, uh, archetypes would build the individual's ego. So, for instance, we just read the story of Hansel and Gretel. And in the story of Hansel and Gretel, they're in survival mode. And they do survive and they conquer. And that's what fairy tales are about. They're about showing a child that no matter what challenging situation you're in, you can survive it. You know, Jacob and Valham Grimm heard Hansel and Gretel from Valham's friend and future wife, Dorshan Wilde, and published it in their Kinder and Harshmarschen in 1812. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Hausmarschen. In Grimm's version of fairy tales, the woodcutter's wife is the children's biological mother, and the blame for abandoning them is shared between both her and the woodcutter himself. In later editions, some slight revisions were made, the wife became the children's stepmother. The woodcutter opposes her scheme to abandon the children, and religious references are made. The sequence where the swan helps them to cross swan or duck, helps them to the, across the river, is an addition to, the, to later editions. As I said earlier, the fairy tale may have originated 
in the medieval period during the Great Famine, which caused desperate people to abandon young children to fend for themselves or even resort to cannibalism. Folklorists Ina and Peter Opie indicate in the classic fairy tale 1974 that Hansel and Gretel belongs to a group of European tales especially popular in the Baltic regions. About children outwitting ogres in whose hands they have involuntarily fallen. The tale bears resemblance to the first half of Charles Perrault's Hop O My Thumb and Madame Ollery's Finat Syndrome. In both tales, abandoned children find their way home by following a trail. And this is not, this is a, a very common type of understory where the child is following you know, some trail and they get lost. Well, how often in life are you walking down this life's trail and a detour occurs and you get so worried and concerned because it's not going the way you thought it was supposed to go. But what you find out is that the detours off the path are what life is. Life is all about those detours and how you can discover new and bigger and greater things. Let's get back to, to our Hansel and Gretel story. In the story, in Clever Cinders, Opie's observed that the heroine incinerates a giant by shoving him into an oven in a similar manner to Gretel's dispatch of the witch. And they point out that the ruse involving a twig and a Swedish tail resembles Hansel's trick of the dry bone. So what you can see is sometimes stories will repeat themselves across different cultures. For instance, we have in our Eastern European culture, the Hada Baba Yaga. The Hada Baba Yaga, again, she lives in a house uh, that's on chicken legs, which is a, a, a um, uh, resemblance of food. And she, she cannibalizes children. People go to her for help, but they have to give up something in order to get something. And so in the Hada Baba Yaga, you're, in life, you got to give up something often to try and get something. And that is displayed in that story. Linguists and folklorists have proposed that these stories represent the remnant of the coming of age rite of passage. So you have different stories that may also indicate to you different changes and challenges in your life. You know, there are different, for instance, the story of Rapunzel where she is safely kept in a tower, but she's only allowed to see her stepmother, the witch, who has imprisoned her in this tower. But she slowly starts to have a relationship with the witch where the witch becomes like her mother. And when Rapunzel escapes the tower, the, the, the witch is besides herself because she's lost her daughter. She's not, it's not just about losing uh, a captive. It's about, she created a relationship. Well, when people are 
kids, let me say this. When children are put into situations such as somebody bad takes them, they are kept in a house for, you know, and, and abused. They're not allowed out into the community. They start to integrate a fantasy into their life that the person that is actually their, their captor, the person that's keeping them imprisoned in one way or another, is a good person. And that all they have to do is be a good boy or girl and they'll help their the villain in their life. And so this is called Stockholm Syndrome. It's when you start to build relationship around somebody that is trying to hurt you in order to try and protect yourself. And we see that in in stories. We see that where, like even in, in Rapunzel, where her, the woman who kept her, the witch that kept her in the in the tower is actually somebody that she begins to love and care about and, and worries about and doesn't want to hurt by running away with the prince. So <clears throat> it's very interesting to see also in the Hansel and Gretel story the use of the confectionery house, the house of sweets and sugars and candies. During this time, there was so much famine going on that people were would do anything and now for food. And something like sugars and cakes and things like that, well, obviously they all come from flour and wheat. And during that time period, there was a really, really bad weather system that went through Europe for about 10 years. And... It destroyed the crops over and over again by just being too wet and cold. Also, they couldn't dry out their hay. They couldn't dry out the fodder for their animals. Thus, the animals started to die. So they didn't have that nourishment that they need. So what do you write into the story? The most desirable house possible. How could you possibly walk away from the witch when she has all this desirable stuff? Now, the mother or the stepmother dies, and the when and it, and it happens just around the same time when the children have killed the witch. So it suggests, <coughs> excuse me, to many commentators that the mother or the stepmother and the witch are metaphorically the same woman; they're the same person. So the issues that have come to play with the mother or the stepmother. She, she wants to get rid of the kids. She's only saving herself. She's not thinking about their needs. She's thinking about her needs first, which is not what a parent does. A parent thinks about their kids' needs first. She, the kids take the power over by pushing the witch into the oven, and at the same time, it gets rid of the stepmother. Very, very convenient. So these kind of conveniences happen in fairy tales so that there is not more issues or more conflicts to work through. That it demonstrates that the child can work through the conflict situations. 
A Russian folktale exists in which the evil stepmother, also the wife of a poor woodcutter, asks her hated stepdaughter to go to the forest to borrow a light from her sister, who turns out to be Baba Yaga, who's also a cannibalistic witch. Besides highlighting the endangerment of children as well as their own cleverness, the tales have, have in common the preoccupation with food and with hurting children. The mother and the stepmother wants to avoid hunger, while the witch lures the children to eat her house of candy so that they can then be eaten themselves. Another tale indicates that the mother gets rid of them in order to have the, their, their uh, um, portion of the, any food that might have come in. These tales are things that last through the ages. They teach us how to deal with challenges, but most importantly, as I said earlier, they teach us how to survive. They teach us that when we are in a situation that is so hard on us, we can get through it if we use our internal power and if we use the things around us. This is what we're commonly trying to teach our children when we're, when we're living with them, that you can survive issues, that you can survive hardships. And when we're in professional settings, schools, hospitals, residential settings, that we can help kids through stories to understand themselves better and to understand their situations better. I'm really happy this morning to have with us Anne Garrett. She was with us a a couple months back, um, she is a bibliotherapist who worked for over 30 years with children with emotional disturbance. And she has demonstrated to me in my work with her, showing us how you could use books and literature to teach children to understand themselves better. So we have a break in a couple minutes, but I'd like to bring Anne on and get started talking a little bit, and then we can take a break and we'll continue our conversation. So I'm not sure if we are on yet or not, but Anne, are you there? Yes, I am, Sean. Well, good morning to you, and thank you for returning to the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We uh, were talking this morning about using fairy tales and stories to encourage children and, and things that families can do. We have about three minutes until a break time. In that time, Anne, can you just tell me a little bit about your background in working with kids and in, in, in using literature? Yes, I, uh, I used to uh, work for a therapeutic school, and I worked with children who had Asperger's, uh, high-functioning autism, or um, emotionally disturbed. Um, our school dealt with the children who failed other special ed programs also. We were uh, working with some of the most children in uh, Los Angeles at various times. And um, these kids were highly responsive to story. Mm. And um, bibliotherapy, what that really means uh, in a nutshell for any parent is the right book for the right kid at the right time. Mm. And it can be um, done by a parent without having to make it very obvious at all. Uh, say, for example, you've got a child that's a bedwetter. 
you know, you find a book, you know, you go to your local library and ask uh, for kids who are bedwetters or who are having difficulties in a certain area, and then you just read them the story. The kid will see themselves reflected in the story. You don't even need to say much about it. You don't need to get all preachy about it. But you can just have a uh, talk with the kid about it. You know, what did you like? What didn't you like? What do you think he was feeling? And you put it on the character in the story, and the child will really express themselves and their opinion. So that wonderful how we can see kids reacting to to that relationship that also occurs between the reader of a story and and the child themselves, the listener, and how just the, the voice of the individual can calm and soothe and allows them the calmness to bring in the story, to list, to be able to comprehend and listen. So not only is the, the story itself important, but that time period of, of reading and interacting with the kiddo. We, we've got to take a little break. We'll be back in a, a couple minutes and we will continue our conversation with Anne. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. 
Okay, well, welcome back, listeners. We're really happy this morning to have with us Ann Garrett, um, bibliotherapist. We have just started a conversation about what bibliotherapy is. We were discussing the idea that stories can be used to teach children to understand certain things, but it can also be used to uh, uh, teach children survival. And, and you started to talk a little bit about some issues. For instance, if a child had in your recess or bedwetting, that you could use stories to uh, uh, help him to understand that he's not the only, or she is not the only one dealing with this. And one of the biggest issues of therapy, or one of the biggest helpers in, in any kind of therapeutic situation, is to know that you're not alone. And that this idea, and I've talked about it on the show a lot, the idea of universalism, that other people have dealt with the same thing. So you're not only not a bad person, but here are some ways that you can work through this problem. So when you were working at the residentials and at the therapeutic school, what would you do? Did you have, what what was your, your day like there? What would you tell me a little bit about well, your experience interacting with kids? Well, uh, for a period of time, I was uh, the librarian, uh, the children's librarian, which mm-hmm. was uh, wonderful for me because I was taking kids who would no more want to read a book than fly to the moon, and I would try to engage them in whatever to just hook them and then steer them into great children's literature. And I had great success with that from kids from five years old to 16 years old. Mm. And I really found that kids love to be read to. My 15, 16-year-olds could listen to No David by David Shannon about a Mm. five-year-old boy um, that could only, you know, heard no all day um, and got into terrible trouble. They liked it as much as my six- and seven-year-olds. It was, I presented it as, oh, you know, this is a great book. You can read to your little brothers and sisters. And I had them laughing and roaring by the time I was done with the book and wanting mm-hmm. to hear the next ones. So, um, it's so often, of it's so all often. ages love to be read to. Um, yeah, that's I, why books I, on tape are so successful with adults. Yes, I was you just going to say that they actually, on their commercial now for Audible, say, listening is the new reading. And it is, it is very, hopefully we'll continue to have literate people, but it is very, very comforting to have somebody's voice telling you a story, telling you about something that may bother you, but they're there with you during the experience also. So that shared experience of listening and comprehending the story also is a huge part of the therapeutic intervention of the storytelling, just being with another person. I love having stories read to me. In fact, I almost every night will go to bed listening to a book on tape or or read stories. And every night my child is read to and this is how she falls asleep comfortably at night. What um and it's interesting that you said that the older kids love it just as much as the younger kids. Well, of course they do. And one of the things that you're teaching them, too, is that, you know, you can let down this big shield that you have right now. And you can allow yourself to still be a kid 
and still enjoy this because it's nothing cuter than seeing a bunch of 15, 16 year olds all hanging out together in their pajamas, you know, being trying to still be little kids. And but there's something in society that says, no, after a certain age, you shouldn't have to listen to stories anymore. You shouldn't need bedtime support or, you know, and it allows those kids to still be kids. Well, and it also teaches them, you know, they feel nurtured from a story, and you'll see them uh, turn around and pick up a book and to a younger kid say, do you want me to read you a story while we wait or while we're doing something? So it had a real ripple effect. You know, I would read to them. The next thing I know, I'd, I'd turn around and I'd see them reading to a younger child or them reading to a peer or them reading to each other. And, uh... So reading, I can't emphasize enough to parents how important it is to, you know, read to your children. And you can read higher, more advanced things to your children than they're able to read. So say you've got a five-year-old, well, you can read to them seven-year-old material or eight-year-old material, explain it when you need to, but they have a higher listening IQ, so to speak, than a reading IQ. Mm -hmm. And it helps them advance it helps their general knowledge base, and it also helps um, them um, be exposed to those words, increase their vocabulary. Now, so you when know, they start to read those words, they're familiar with them. You, you just brought up a very interesting concept. I think a term that you just even made up, which is great, which is your listening IQ. I think that if we think about that, the, 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 the overall ability to comprehend spoken word, to comprehend an interaction, the reciprocity, the back and forth that is of communication. One of the things that we find with our kids that have emotional issues is that they're very withdrawn and they don't often comprehend what is being said to them. They may hear parts. They may hear parts that lead to irrational thinking and not to a full understanding. So by having that story read to them, you're also building that skill of being able to relax and comprehend. And that's, you know, a form of mindfulness to be able to be, see, a lot of kids are, are, are sad and depressed, and that's because of thinking about the past. There are a lot of kids out there that are anxious because they're stuck in thinking about the future, what the storytelling does, what the communication and interaction does is bring them right into the present because you can't deal with the future because you can't control it and you can't change the past, but you can work within the present and to stay present, not only is a form of mindfulness, but allows that child to be able to take in the world that's around them. So did you ever have an experience where, and, and I'm always asking a rhetorical question, where a kid was you know, pretty out of it and, and was brought to you? Because not only were you the librarian, but for a long, long time, you were the head person in charge of kids that were out of control. And your job was to de-escalate their behavior, get them relaxed and back and ready to resume social interactions with peers and with teachers that's a that was a huge job and tell me about times where kids would come to you and this is, I'm going to use your word frazzled and 
what you could do when they were in that state. Well, you know, when a, when a child was frazzled, I mean really frazzled, one of the techniques I used was if they needed gross motor, you know, large gross motor interaction, uh, I would let them go kick a ball in, in uh, what we called the quiet rooms. But once that was settled down, I found that very, you know, like 50-piece puzzles really helped to settle and calm them and help them put things back together. Mm-hmm. You, you see the analogy of it? Yeah, Everything absolutely. Together, but you can put yourself back together. And I, if they were at all uh, struggling with it, I would show them how to do the outward edges and then work into the middle. You know, so I was right there to help them learn to do that. But that was a great coping strategy. I saw kids come in and ask me for puzzles all the time. Can I do a puzzle real quick? You know, and uh, some kids go up to the hundred-piece puzzle. But I always tried to keep it, you know, very doable for them. Sure. In terms of um, in terms of uh, bibliotherapy, one of my favorite books are the Pigeon Books by Mo Wellams, and uh, he ha- he has been a father. You can tell. And the pigeon uh, has, you know, it says, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Well, you know, um, the pigeon has a full-on blown temper tantrum in the book, you know, and yeah. doesn't get his way. And kids really and has 50 million excuses. So kids really relate to those books because they are the excuses they use, and it will crack them up. And then I can say to them, oh, you've been using that excuse? Or, you know, is that your newest, oh, look what, you know. And they'll go, no, my favorite excuse is this one here over, you know. And so you have a discussion around what the pigeon's doing, but it totally totally reflects their acting out behavior. Mm-hmm, and right. it's a great tool. And those, and they, those books I'd highly recommend. Um, and what was the author's that, name again? Mo what? His name's Mo Wellams. Mo Wellams. And, um. They're uh, the pigeon books, and um, you know a lot of uh, a lot of people can't you know um, afford you know they go oh well, I can't afford all those books, and it's a well, very simple solution you know uh, go to your local library get a library card and you know ask your librarian for a topic you maybe have maybe your kid has hates his hair you know there's a lot of kids who hate strange things about it but they hate having curly hair. Or they hate having straight hair. And just ask your librarian if they have any books on those topics. If the children's librarian doesn't know, go to the resource librarian. And they will find you something. And um, it's, a, it's a great tool that's free in the community that I think people have forgotten about. Yeah, A lot they of have. people have forgotten that that resource is out there for you. You and go to libraries. Understand. You go to libraries, and they're almost empty now. You know, there's very few people there, and it is a forgotten art. Besides the fact that it's very hard to find a bookstore these days, you know, and right. if you don't have access or you don't have the money to go on to an Amazon or some online bookstore, you know. Besides the fact that I really believe that it's important. For the kid to touch the book and to feel the book and to and then that connection of the kid saying i want you to read me this handing the adult the book to read them is all part of that process too 
we have about four minutes to the close of the show, and I I wanted to, you know, I thought about something while you were talking, and I don't know if we have enough time to really discuss it, but one of the things that happens too, when a parent is reading a story like Hansel and Gretel, let's say, to their kid, and maybe they've had some issues themselves with their child, I wonder if there's like guilt that's brought up for the parent and if the parent themselves can also deal with the guilt issues through the stories. For instance, the father doesn't really want to let go of the kids. The mother or slash stepmother, no matter what story you're reading, does want to send the kids off to fend for themselves. The father's feeling very guilty. The mother seems to not care. The one that seems to not care is died off in the in the uh, story. They return to the caring, nurturing parent at the end of the story, but they also bring him a gift, which again says to me there's a little bit of conditional positive regard there rather than I love you for who you are. What, what are your, in, in just a couple minutes, I mean, what are your thoughts when I, when I say that? Well, yeah, I, I agree with you with the, with the take of the story of Hansel and Gretel. They bring back all these jewels and treasures they found at the witch's house to, like, now will you keep us? You know? Right. And, um, and, uh, and, and I, I just wonder if a parent really would, feel, would feel guilt and would be able to learn from that story themselves that, okay, yeah, you did something that wasn't cool, but, like, get rid of your kid or throw them into the forest to fend for themselves. But at the end, you, you took them back, you changed your mind, you redeemed yourself. So maybe even for the parent, there can be some value there in teaching survival and not being shamed by your survival. Because a lot of parents have to do a lot of things, like work all sorts of hours and not see their kids, uh, put them into foster care when they can't take care of them. When they're not able to take care of themselves, they might place their child in some kind of residential center like you worked in for many years. And when we have kids in those residential settings, so often we feel like they've been abandoned. And the parent may also feel that way. Now, I've talked too much because our, our, our show is coming to an end. Once again, and you brought such a wonderful flavor of what you can do with your kid. Go to the library, get some books, sit down, read with them, interact. Don't worry about their age because they are going to be there for you. So, Anna, really, I want to thank you for being on. We do have to end the show now, but thank you so much. And we'll, we'll oh, continue our conversation. Pleasure. So that's all for today. I thank you so much, Anne, for your wonderful contribution to children, and I thank you all for listening. Remember that on Strategies and Solutions, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean, we are about your success, and know that each day can be the new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.